0: Welcome to the Pages of Life podcast, your destination for discussions of popular fantasy and science fiction novels from a Christian worldview. My name is Tyler, a.k.a. Verum, and with me, as always, is Gabriel, a.k.a. the Quarantine Quartermaster. Welcome back to the podcast.
1: Hey, it's good to be here. And round two of Dune. Here we come. All right.
0: Round two of Dune. If you missed um, the last episode... Uh, Make sure you go check that out. We kicked off our discussion of Dune by Frank Herbert from 1965, one of the granddaddies of science fiction. So, yeah, go check that out if you missed that episode. Uh, Make sure you go follow us on social media. uh, We're at Pages of Light on Facebook, Instagram. Go check out our YouTube channel. You can check out the video version of this podcast and subscribe so you don't miss any more uh, videos that get put up over there you can also head over to our website and you can see our blog and some of the other stuff we're doing over there. Um, so yeah, as I said, we're going to be doing part two of the, of, uh, Dune and, uh, we're doing Dune because the movie is coming out very shortly as like whenever this episode goes up, I think the movie should be out in just a few days. So, um, you can listen to this episode and then you can go buy your tickets for dune and you can go check it out and i think it'll be uh looking basically on the reviews it looks like it's going to be a pretty good movie so i'm very excited to go and watch that um so yeah this episode we're going to mace mostly look at the lot of the plot points and the story things that are happening in the book of dune uh the last episode we did a lot of like character discussion and uh Um, Just information about who the characters were, and you know what was what we thought was like important uh, about them, and what made them uh, interesting and pivotal to the story. And we talked a little bit about some of the atmosphere and the world building, and all those types of things as well. Um, But now we'll talk a little bit more about the actual things that are happening in Dune and how the plot points tie together. And uh, yeah, some of our thoughts, and uh, yeah, some stuff from a Christian worldview as well uh so yeah the first uh scene in the first part of the book we get uh paul on caladan and he has a uh a test i'm not sure if the name of the test was given uh but there's this thing called the gom jabbar which is like this poison needle that this uh member of the Bene Gesserit, the reverend mother they did say what her name was but i can't uh remember i think it's mohi mohim mohim or something like that um but so she comes to caladan and she's giving paul this test which is like a test to see if you're um human essentially or an animal i think that's the basic gist of the test yep, that is. Mm-hmm. and um i think it's just an interesting uh premise on that test to see if you're a human because she says if you're a human you can you stick your hand in this box and uh she says paul asks what's in the box and she says pain so yeah it's great brilliant uh thanks for letting me know that and uh so he puts his hand in the box and it's like this excruciating pain and she says that a human will leave their hand in the box and endure the pain because they don't want to uh, be killed because if he removes his hand, she's going to stick this needle in his neck and kill him essentially. And she says, but an animal will just remove their hand out of instinct and not, uh, and just die because they don't have any um, like higher brain functions. Like they can't uh, make decisions to endure pain for a benefit later on it's kind of like a an aspect of like delayed gratification or like you're doing Mm -hmm. something knowing of the results that will come not because it's necessarily fun in the moment um so i think it's just like an interesting like test and a premise and i think it's uh very indicative of like what sets humans apart from like other creatures do you have any just thoughts on that test and that whole scene? First and, of all, I never want
1: to go through that test in my life. I would tap out yeah, so sure. early. That it'd be like this guy's just an animal. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. So Paul endures an insane amount of pain, uh, more than any other um, predecessor in the test. Everyone who's taken the test, yes, Paul has done better than any of them. And this makes them uh, the Benny Gesserit Pay attention because they think he might be the one prophesied that he was coming, and so this yep. is this is cool because like there's not only a prophecy with the Bene Jesuit, but there's also a prophecy with the Fremen, um, and they are both predicting the same person. And how amazing must that person be if it's being predicted in two separate religions, separate planets, separate <laughs> thought processes? Um, yep. Yeah, so that's pretty incredible. Um, yeah, and so he sticks his hand into this box, and it sl- starts as like a tingle, and then it becomes an itch, and then it starts to burn, and then th- the pain is yep. just incalculable. It's just so much yep. pain, and yeah. I, uh, I think that women, somewhere it's been proven that they have a higher tolerance of pain. Um, it might have yep. to do with the ability to birth children. Um, I personally have had kidney stones, which, um, I had a mother, like I'm a school teacher. So, um, like, uh, a mom told me she had kidney stones and she had given birth and she said that they were like neck and neck for how, how painful they were. My, my, my kidney stone only lasted for like a day before I passed it, but that was, that was some crazy pain. Um, yeah. So I, I definitely would wuss out on that. So. I'm glad Paul had to do it and not me. Um, yeah, that's my thought on the test. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah, it definitely does not sound like a, like a good thing at all. And uh, yeah, I think, is it, I, I'm trying to remember. I don't know if it was because he was a man that they put him through the test in a harder way because he was the, he could be the chosen one or whatever it is, the... What was the term that they used? It was the Quessats Haderak, Hadarak.
1: or something. Oh yeah, the Haish Haderak, or something. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, there's the like Kwisatz. there's like so many names for Paul. It's difficult. There's like two different Fremen names, and then also the Benny Jeseret name. It's hard to yes. keep them all straight.
0: Yeah, there are a lot. So yeah, uh Paul undergoes this test. Um, because he is part of this genetic breeding program through the Bene Gesserit. And, uh, whenever Jessica, she's not technically married to Duke Leto Atreides. She's just his concubine. Um, but she is the one who, uh, gave birth to Paul. And so her orders from the Bene Gesserit sisterhood were to, uh, produce a a daughter, because a lot of their genetic breeding is through um, daughters at the sisterhood. Um, So they uh, usually only breed daughters and, but Jessica defied that order and she uh, produced a son uh, because uh, the Bene Gesserits are able to determine which uh, sex or gender the baby is uh, because of their training. And so I think because Leto I think basically because Leto wanted a son and not a daughter that she gave that to him because, um, of her devotion to him and not to, uh, she's -hmm. still devoted to the sisterhood, but she, she defied them in order to give Leto what he wanted. Essentially. Um,
1: she does have a deep love for him. Yeah. And for Paul.
0: Um, yes. So she's very, uh, family oriented and loyal. um, and so uh because of that uh Paul has the opportunity to become this uh prophesied uh person who is supposed to be a man uh who can uh access the memories of both uh male and female kind of things and it's kind of gets a little bit convoluted and uh very philosophical so I don't know we have to necessarily get really bogged down into the weeds all about it, but, uh,
1: Oh, we like the weeds though. Sometimes we like the weeds, so <laughs> that's true. Okay. Did yeah, you have any pa- specific yeah, thoughts about it? Um, so, so yeah. Paul has like, um, so there's like several different trainings that he's undergoing. He's undergoing like the mentat. So there was AI in the past in this, uh, in the Dune universe. And it went awry and then there was a vow to never make any more AI so they had these specialized like training programs for mentats and they basically could calculate insane amounts of calculations Um, but it was kind of like at the cost of their humanity because they became more of like a calculating engine and they could do like extreme math Um, but then that's like all they did they were all data oriented and empir- empirical um you know empirically based beings and then you have the training of the Benny jesserit and they are about self-control and analyzing people and they also have their jedi mind trick called the voice and then uh the training that paul undergoes um and then uh and we haven't even talked about spice yet Um, and spice is like the currency of the universe uh, in dune and it's on arrakis and that's why the control of this planet is so meaningful for all of the houses Um, the atreides the emperor and the Harkadon, they all are paying attention to dune because this is where spice is produced and uh some yes. of the interesting qualities of spice there's actually a name for it it starts with an m but i can't remember it at spice the moment. melange uh, yes yeah, spice melange and so it's kind of like this currency um across the universe and then when people get addicted to it like they have to have it and if they go off of it it's like an addiction they actually like die they can't like cold turkey go off of it so like once it's out in the universe people need to keep getting supplies of it um and then the fremen are you know from arrakis and they the quality of them is that they have these blue within blue eyes and that's because of the spice trait um like if they keep consuming the spice which kind of like uh, ups there, like longevity and they're like stronger and um, they, they have these blue within blue eyes. And for Paul, it's a different sort of path. like um, when he in, uh, consumes the spice, it starts to bring out more of his like uh, supernatural powers. like he starts having more dreams. he can predict the future better. Um, yep. uh, I think the word is prescient. Um, which was a word that I don't hear
0: um,
1: very often. And, uh, yeah, because he's consuming the spot. And and when he is, you know, we're going to talk about him being on Arrakis and being lost. But, um, yeah, as he starts putting that more and more into his diet, his uh, abilities start to develop more and more. And so you kind of see that, you know, he has these um, abilities that are kind of latent at the beginning of the book. And then they start becoming more and more prominent throughout the book um because yeah. of his spice inject- ingestion um yep yeah so uh and and yeah so he has a bunch of different skill sets um he's also a, a, a trained fighter um but he also has these like supernatural powers that uh, come you know as he becomes paul wadib uh the leader of the fremen and um the chosen and the predicted one um he slowly becomes more and more that person as he uh, incorporates spice into his diet. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. It's actually interesting towards the end of the book uh, because after he's been there for so long, the spices effects sort of start to wear off because his body becomes more and more used to it so that he doesn't get as many dreams anymore as he used to because his body's now like oh this is just the way it it normally is so it uh starts to actually like dull his abilities and not make him as um able to use that prescience and to be able to see things that are going to come in the future and so that's when he has to take that like drastic measure where he takes that uh that water um that the benny jesrets would normally use to become reverend mothers i think it is Something along those lines where he doesn't know he's not supposed to to survive
1: that test.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he has to go to like that drastic uh, place to be able to get to a place where he can um, use his uh, prescience again. Um, Which (laughs) I think I saw this uh, interesting thing. I think it was on like Facebook or something like that, where it was like, explain your favorite book in like one sentence or something like that. And somebody did doing it. And it was like um, something about like the whole, the world is destroyed because of drug, a- drug addiction or something like that. Or <laughs> it's like, they're just like all these people on Arrakis are addicted to this um, thing called spice. And if they don't have it, then it, then it kills them. And yeah, that kind of, and Paul kind of like, he has to, like he has to chase the next high as it were, because he can't, he can no longer do what he could before. So he has to go like another step further to gain access to something. Um, that's even deeper than it, uh, uh, than it was before.
1: Yeah. I think that pushes him even further in his abilities because it's not like, it's not just the spice. It's like, um, I mean, it's, it's what transforms the Benny Jesuit into the reverent mother or whatever. Um, so it's actually in this pursuit of like more power and he kind of like pushes himself mm-hmm. but yeah he also ends up in a coma for like three weeks or something
0: <laughs> yeah yeah <clears throat> um so yeah he uh they're on caladan and then he passes the test of course and uh eventually they go to arrakis and I'm trying to remember, I don't actually think it was like necessarily spelled out that well, or maybe I just missed it, but there's a lot of things in this book. So I'm, I would not be surprised if I missed something, um, but I'm not sure exactly. Do you remember why they, he had to go to Arrakis and abandon Caladan? Um, I think it was just because uh, yeah, he needed I think- to have some other kind of power source that Caladan couldn't give him and they had to leave and take this risk and uh, make a life there. Um, but yeah I I, um, am
1: yeah it it, yeah it um first of all this book is not short and that was at the beginning of the book so it's kind of hard to remember back through the beginning of it but um yeah I think that um Duke Leto was in charge of um Arrakis and then he was kind of going to go there to sort things out um because things aren't going the way that he wanted them to so he was going to go there and kind of like Take a more um, direct approach with the planet, and I think that's why sure. um, his family is packing up and going to, including Paul and um, um, Jessica, and I think I think yep. that's why they're going
0: there. Yeah. Um. So yeah, they get to Arrakis, and they get this, uh, nice. One of my favorite scenes in this whole book was whenever they got in the—they call them uh, ornithopters, but they're like sci-fi helicopters, essentially. Yeah, and, the uh, Yeah, they get in this. Uh, I'm just gonna say it's a helicopter because that's easier. So they get in this helicopter, and they uh, are given this like tour of the kind of the area, and I loved the just the Frank Herbert describing the scenes and. Uh, the different places that they were going and them talking about like surviving in the desert and um, how they mined the spice and all of these things. And this is where we get our first introduction into the sandworms because there's the sandworm that comes and like destroys that whole I think it's like a mining factory or something like that where they had all this spice yep. and then they just lost all the spice. Um, mm-hmm. And Lado was more concerned about saving the people there than saving the spice. And. Uh, Yeah, just that was such a great scene and it was a really good uh indicator of like leto's character and like what was important to him and um like he wasn't there to just like get the spice and be rich like he was there to like uh like set up like a city and a community and a uh, a kingdom kind of and he wanted to uh like make a place where people could live uh Uh, Yeah, I think in in that
1: scene, like, uh, there was, like, some practice on Arrakis where, like, if you spotted the worm and, like, you helped contribute to it, like, not doing as much damage or something, or if you took out the worm, like, you were entitled to, like, a bounty. Oh, yes. And so... And so, like, he was the Duke, and he was like, oh, I see this worm. And he actually spots it before Stilgar does, and he's like, oh, what's that over there? And they look at the worm, and so Stilgar radios the right people, and then um, it's taken out, and there's a bounty, and Duke Leto claims the bounty, and then immediately... And this is what you should do if you're a Christian. He takes the bounty that he was given and he's like, I don't really need this. And he gives it back to the yes. people who are living on the planet. And I think that's a call for what God wants us to do with our possessions and our resources is like we're a conduit. Like we take care of like yep. our our mortgage, our, you know, our food and the things in our house. And like, you know, when we, when we have excess, we shouldn't go into luxury too much. Um, but, like, you know, you can have nice things, but at the same time, like, are you yes. working for God? Are you, like, letting yourself be a conduit of, like, I have plenty. Let's give the plenty out to other people and help them. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. Duke Leto does this right away. And you can see the benefits because I think it's Stilgar's, like... Um, like, thought process, or I, I don't know whose it is, but they, they were observing Duke, and they were like, yep. oh, like, he's building relationships already. Like, he's been on the planet for a very short time, and he's already giving yep. back to the people. And, like, that's that's the way God intends it to be. Like, if you if your cup runneth over, um, then you you kind of, like, continue the train. You, you're a conduit of, of the resources that God has given you to shepherd, and you just pass them on to yes. the people who need them um and yep. that's a that's a good way to to earn friends and to and to give back to the community
0: yeah I think it was um you were saying Stilgar but I think it was Liet Liet Kynes I think that was that was his name the guy that was giving them the tour I don't think we mm. meet Stilgar until later whenever uh Paul and Jessica escape and go through the desert There's,
1: that was a long time ago in the book so you could be very right
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think Liet Kynes is the one who's there who's the uh, the imperial planetologist who was sent there by the emperor. Um, actually, I think his, uh, his father, uh, Pardnot Kynes, was the one who was initially sent to Arrakis. And then Liet is his son, um, who is now there. Pardnot Kynes died. Uh, but now Liet Kynes is there, and he's now the planetary ecologist. And so his whole kind of goal on Arrakis is to terraform the planet so that they can have um, like plants there and they don't have to be so stingy with their water and they can have um, like, they can actually change the weather system and change the way the planet is so that the, uh, the people on Arrakis can actually have like a prosperous life and not have it be such a, a brutal place to live. And so that's kind of his, his goal, um, When he's there. Which is also
1: the Fremen goal as well. Like the Fremen uh, desire to have their planet turned into a place. You know, uh, I love the descriptions of like Paul describing how water would fall from the skies and they have oceans. And the Fremen are like, what is this place that you are
0: from? Yeah,
1: My friend, I can't understand it. You know, like they're all blown away by just there being rain. Yeah. Oceans <laughs> and ponds yep. and lakes and stuff, because water is yep. so precious. And, uh, you know, we we talked about the still suits and how they preserve the water in the body. And um, and then there's still tents, you know, if you're staying out in the desert and yep. how. Um, yeah, I think the only places of respite um, are down kind of like in the bowels of of the dunes and stuff where the.
0: In the, the caves, big, the
1: big fremen po- populations are and then there's like a there's like a seal that like keeps the moisture in and so that's the only place that they can really take off their still suits and uh, yeah apparently it smelled terrible <laughs> and it was uh <laughs> but still Gar was well, you all smelling no smell in there yeah
0: Oof. yeah um, but yeah, going on with the Liet Kynes thing and uh, Lato doing that thing with the spice where he gives it back to the people that was something that where Kynes was like, yeah, I really like this Duke, and that, uh, like leads into a por- a part of the story towards the 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 uh, end of part one where he helps, uh, Paul and Jessica escape from the Harconans because he because of that impression that Leto had given Kynes, and he was kind of on the side of the. The atreides family and not the harkonnens because he saw that the atreides were coming there to like make life better for the people of arrakis and the fremen and the harkonnens were coming there to make life harder and destroy things and um like kill the kill the people the vladimir harkonnen has uh one of his nephews rayban Rabin Like running the planet whenever uh, Duke Leto is murdered, and like he just Mm -hmm. like makes life seriously difficult for the people of yeah. He's like oppressing
1: them and making yeah Yeah. making life terrible for them essentially.
0: And so basically, like this one like these few days that Leto is on Arrakis, and he makes an impression on the people, and it uh, like sways them to his side um because of how generous he was and how he um like wanted to do things in their own customs and he wanted to learn how they did things and he wanted to um be respectful of their culture and all of those different things um so yeah i mean i, I think that just can speak to like our own life like we should be um people who want to learn who want to uh give people the benefit of the doubt who want to um, give back to other people as much as we can uh based on the abundance that we have um and you know you'll win the loyalty of people uh in that way and yeah i think it's just a good a good um like axiom for for life
1: yeah for sure that's um yeah biblical way to live
0: <laughs> of course um yeah so I think the next big kind of plot point is with uh, this doctor. His name's Dr. Yua and the betrayal. And he has, he's something called a Suk doctor. It might be like a place or a school. I'm not, I uh, can't remember specifically. Um, but they yeah, have something called like Yui. imperial conditioning. Yeah, Yui. Mm-hmm. Yui or Yuwa. Sorry, and, go ahead. Um, yeah, but he has like imperial conditioning, which means he's like, he's not able to like, um go like betray his orders and the people that he's been uh charged with serving and somehow the harkonens have figured out how to break him essentially and essentially they've like kidnapped his wife or his I'm not sure if it's his wife or just like his his lover um and he does he basically doesn't wife. want anything to happen to her yeah he basically mm-hmm. doesn't want anything to happen to her so he's willing to betray the atreides um in the hopes that uh she'll get let go but i think his real plan is just to kill uh vladimir harkonnen and so in a roundabout way he's not he's still doing it to like but he's he's doing it to kill the harkonnens he's not doing it just because he wants to betray the atreides because he actually does yeah he has the atreides yeah um and we see that in like the notes that he leaves and he leaves them. Um, he leaves Paul and Jessica Leto's ducal signet so that he has proof that he's like the ducal heir, um, and all these different things. So he, he has, he does a betrayal, but he does it in like, he tries to like do everything that he can to like make up for what he's doing. Um, Yep. but he still has to go through with the betrayal i guess he,
1: yeah he's trying to alleviate the guilt that he has for killing a good honest man duke leto yep. um and he goes remember the tooth um so essentially he like drugs the duke and um the shoots duke him with a dart like, semi conscious yeah. yeah he's like semi conscious and he's like what's going on and he's like you must remember the tooth and so he plants like this Uh, And, like, the description that Frank Herbert has of, like, all these, like, different weapons, like, um, like the Sardaukar warriors, like, you're not supposed to trust them, like, they have, like, in their hair, like, basically, like, a piano wire strong enough to, like, strangle people and use it as a garrote. He's, like, um, like, the boy who's sent to kill, um, the the Baron has, like, a needle implanted in his skin, um, and then there's like the seeker dart that tries to kill paul it's like a remote controlled dart that flies through the room and it's attracted to like mm-hmm. motion um yeah those are some really cool like they're very like tiny very tiny parts of the storyline but they're also very um cool technologies that he he talked about um yeah so yui gives um the leto a tooth it's like this false tooth so this is the technology and he says like when you are with the baron so yui has to drop off um the duke with the baron so that the baron can verify that he's being killed um and he wants to kill him and so he's like you will remember the tooth and so um duke's captured he's brought to baron harkonnen and and he bites down on the tooth, and it releases this noxious gas that uh, fills the room, and it kills several people, but um, the Baron escapes just barely, but it does kill his Mentat, and his Mentat, like we said, it's the calculating person, um, and then he brings um, the Atreides Mentat on board, um, and that kind of plays out later in the storyline. Um that he's actually being betrayed by um that mentat uh he, Hawat I think is his name. Um, yeah, Hawat Thufir or something. Mhm. And so so the duke dies. And he's, and- well
0: he's 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 duped because he's told he thinks that Jessica was the betrayer. And so he thinks that he's trying to get revenge against uh Jessica, right?
1: Oh yeah, the the mentat, yeah. Um and and the uh the guy who trained Paul. Um I forgot his Gurney name again. Yeah, Gurney. Um they both think that Jessica is the betrayer. Um but it's Yui and yeah, the the conditioning. I always think of like classical conditioning with um, Pavlov and his drooling dogs and how he like <laughs> rang a bell and then they would start drooling. So like Apparently, in the future, they've, you know, <laughs> they figured out how to condition someone to respond, you know. And that comes up later when Fade Rotha is fighting in the Gladiator. Um, and, oh, and that's a very interesting yeah. point. I'm sorry. I'm just going to side quest it for just a second. We haven't had a good side <laughs> oh, quest yeah. yet. Um, well, we accept so a good side this, quest here. Yeah. So Fade Rotha is in a fight and he's got a, a big sword and a short sword. And the normally the short sword is the one that's poisoned. And he's fighting this gladiator, and the gladiator is supposed to be drugged, um, but he's not in this instant. And uh, Baron Harkonnen is watching, watching Fade fight this uh, this guy. And at the beginning of the fight, they said he's being conditioned that if you call him scum, like he he will weaken, and uh, like just for a moment, and then. Um, Fade Rotha does end up using the word. He calls him scum because he's on the verge of losing. He's like, uh, like yep. the guy's like moving the, the knife into his um, chest and he's worried. So he says scum. And then at the end of the book, we have Paul versus, and I know we're going to talk about this, um, Fade in the end. And Paul takes, quote unquote, the high road. And he says, I don't want to know about this because his mother is trying to say that Fade Rotha has the same programming or the conditioning built into him, uh, where if yep. you speak this word that uh, it, he will weaken at that moment. Um, and Paul says, I will not do that. And so he wants to have the fight of the fights. Um, okay. Fair sorry. fight. Psycho, Yeah, so when we were talking about Yui and conditioning, that took me down the whole road in the book. There's, there's lots of different conditionings that are um, going on. So okay. Yui ends up getting killed by, um, and he he thought that was going to happen. Um, so he's like, "You will rejoin your wife in hell." I don't know. And then they they kill them. Um, so he he yeah. expected to die, but that is why um, Paul and um, and at that point Paul and Jessica are captured and they are bound and they're put in the thopter um, because Baron Harkonnen is worried about the soothsayers or the. Um, the truth tellers um, that work for the emperor and he um, tells fade Rotha, you know if you're going to survive in this you know this world where plans within plans within plans exist you have to be able to say with complete truth that you didn't you have to keep your hands clean um which is interesting yep. because like you know um truth telling is something that's usually reserved for um You know the noble and the upright person but he uses it as a shield himself because he's like i'm never going to get my hands dirty so that i can speak truthfully oh i didn't know about you know so and so dying um you know my i didn't kill them that wasn't by my hand and he can say that honestly so you know that you know that comes back to god and there is power in speaking the truth um and but we see again like It's all in how you choose to do it. Um, You know, here, uh, you know, Baron Harkenden has this black heart and uh, he uses truth as a shield. um, And it's not being used in an honorable way, but we as Christians, you know, we should try and, um, I've said it before on the podcast, I try and weave truth into the universe. If you speak the things that you are going to do, the Bible says, let your yes mean yes and let your no mean no. Like when you speak the truth and people see that, um, you become more trustworthy um, and you are able to bring healing to a situation. Whereas lies and deceit can kind of rip a situation apart and lead to entropy and and things falling apart. Okay. Yeah.
0: Side quest complete. (laughs) Well, it's kind of like that uh, be the change you want to see in the world. Like you mm-hmm. can't, uh, you can't change the world by just like thinking about it. I think that's like you have that's to actually saying. Oh, is it Gandhi? All right.
1: I think it's um, Gandhi. Yeah.
0: But yeah, like you can't, you can't change the world by doing nothing and just having idealistic thoughts. Like you have to take action. You have to. Um, bring people alongside you that can help make the change, and uh, so. Yeah, definitely. And I also think that just like, you know,
1: you being the change in the world, it's like, um, like I think people like when you're in a position and you tell people how they should act and then you yourself act differently, like that doesn't hold the same weight as if you tell someone yeah. how they should act and then they see you living it out. Um, you know, like, oh, yeah, we need can't to be hypocrite. something over here. Yeah. And you can't just, you know, your words ring hollow if you're not actually doing it.
0: Yeah. And that could be seriously detrimental to sharing the gospel, because how many times have you seen instances where, uh, like you'll see Christians doing or so-called Christians doing things and you're like, man, if you, if people, if non-Christians see Christians doing X thing that people know is wrong, then how much more are they going to just write off um, the Bible and what Christianity has to say, because if the, the thought process goes, if the Christian doesn't even try to live up to the standards, then like, why would I go in there? Cause I'm not going to be any better. Essentially. It just kind of gives Christianity a bad, um, a bad name. So it's, it's imperative that Christians do their best to, uh, try to live up to, what the bible and how the bible says we should live now obviously understand it understand that it's impossible to live up to the bible's correct complete axioms you know so correct there has to be some kind of room for grace um there's all there the room is, for grace
1: thank you jesus
0: that's right but there is something to be said for like um what's the the passage in James, I mentioned it uh, before in the podcast where it says faith without deeds is dead. So you have to, you have to be doing some kind of actions and some kind of deeds to show that you are a Christians. Yep. That way people know um, that you are different and that you have chosen a different way to live your life and that you have been changed by the faith that you have in Jesus. Um, so you have to do, uh, you have to take action in order to show that, Uh, from people. Words can just, anybody can say words, but it's what you do that really, that really matters. Um, Yeah.
1: And we talked about a little bit on the last podcast, like how um, you want to like, um, you want to be in in that mode of like self-reflection of, of like, how, how do I change myself to be like, to bring, uh, there's, there's a good scripture on like, you want to surrender every thought to god and to um to walk in his ways um and yeah a lot of times we have christians that um don't do that and and i'm i'm guilty just as you know yeah i'm not a person every, I'm a everybody's person guilty of not living not cast, up yeah yeah no one can live up to god's expectations but that's why we have let grace. him who is without that's sin
0: cast saying. the first stone right
1: I always try and think of that. Like whenever something's going bad, I'm like, listen, I'm I'm not the person who say this is wrong or you know. If, if you do need to challenge something, you do it in a very tentative way. I'm not the. Um, I used to be the person who used to tackle it head on, but God's sense gotten a hold of me and told me to just yeah. rein it in, Gabe. <laughs> just rein. And in there
0: it is on. there is a there is a biblical way given to like address like sin and and. Christian communities, like you go to them as an, as an individual and you talk to them about it and you try and show them what they're doing is wrong or whatever. And then you take a group of people and you go and do the same thing. And then if they don't still don't change, then you go to the the larger church community and then you do the same thing. And then after that, then you are supposed to like remove them from your Christian community. So there's like a process by which you try to address, um, Christians who aren't acting in accordance with, um, uh, the way they should be acting so and there's like multiple chances for them to repent and change the way that they're, they're acting um, which just shows you like the level of grace that you're supposed to give people like you can't just see somebody do a thing and you're like write them off completely like you have to give them an opportunity to uh, like see what they're doing how they're doing is wrong and like oh yes i see that now like i was blind like my sin had blinded me to what i was doing and now that you have enlighten me and shed light on this situation I can now see how I was acting was wrong um, so, but you have to give people that opportunity you can't just cast them away at the first sign and first action of uh, um, something that's bad so
1: yep for sure <clears throat> alright now the side quest is
0: completed yeah complete <laughs> um, yeah so we left off with Yui killing uh, well not killing well yeah I, I guess in a roundabout way he did kill Duke Leto but um, he didn't uh, technically Leto killed himself but we're getting into semantics there though um so because he bundled <coughs> him
1: up and delivered him <laughs> for yeah,
0: death he, uh, he delivered him like a pig to slaughter yep. uh, so because of all this stuff that's happened and the betrayal uh, the Harkonnens come in and with all of their forces and um, Sardaukar troops that are uh, dressed as Atreides soldiers. So they're Imperial soldiers, but they look like Atreides soldiers, which just makes it uh, hard to distinguish. And they're able to uh, take over pretty quickly. And so that means that Paul and Jessica have to flee and they have to get out of there or else they're going to be they're going to be next because the Harkonnens want to take out the, the Atreides line. So they're no longer a threat on the, um, on the political. I think they were uh, disguised
1: scale. as harkadans I think they were Sardaukar disguised as harkadans because
0: oh, yes, in the long right.
1: run, I think the emperor did yes, not want right. it known that he was taking out Duke Atreides. And so yes, uh, him and uh, the Baron were in cahoots saying like, Oh, you can, I will support you in this taking out of Duke Leto, but my Sardaukar can't be recognized because they when people see Sardaukar, they know it's the emperor's will that's being done.
0: Yeah, you're right. That was my mistake. How dare I get one small detail in the Book of Dune wrong? Hey, (laughs) you know what?
1: I'm, I'm sure we got other things wrong. That was just one thing I was like, yeah, I, I think it was the other
0: way. If you saw something that we said that was wrong, leave a comment on the video. Leave a punishment. comment. Oh,
1: we're, we're begging for punishment.
0: <laughs> Not really. But <laughs> but no, don't be too harsh on us. Don't be too harsh. Um, yes, yeah, so this is where we see uh, Jessica and Paul, they get out and they get to this uh, thopter and they're able to fly away and they're trying to escape from the Harkonnen soldiers and they fly right into this uh, uh, big desert storm and uh, they somehow escape and this is where uh, they crash the thopter and they uh, get out unscathed and this is where they make the long trek across the desert and they try to survive with their still suits and in their little tent and their pack and all this kind of stuff and uh then they get to the the caves where they meet the the Fremen people and we talked a little bit about this before in the last episode where uh they meet Stilgar and Jammis, and Paul has uh this showdown with Jammis and he kills him um, which basically gains him like entrance into the Fremen culture um so we talked a little bit about that in the last episode so listen to that one if you want to hear us talk about that um but yeah so paul like spends what was it like a a year or so um with the fremen people and i think it's the harkonnens two think he's dead two years okay mm-hmm. so there's a bit of a time jump um but so there's um paul has a child his name delato uh with a. Chennai or Chennai
1: So while Paul is with the Fremen um a lot of things are going on so he's um he has a child um like you said and then also his mom becomes a Benny Jesser um reverend mother and that whole process is very interesting yep. so there's the uh there's oh, yeah. the liquid that they drink um do you remember what it was called it was like um
0: yeah, it was the water uh, and, of something or
1: And so like Jessica drinks this and it's actually like this uh she's kind of forced into the situation, she doesn't see it coming, and it's um the leader the a female leader of the Fremen uh tells Jessica to drink this water and it changes her into a reverend mother mother and essentially what i think is happening is that jessica now has access to all these past lives that um different um, reverend mothers lived and she has access to their knowledge kind of like we talked about with uh, the collective unconscious uh, with carl Jung. and but what is undisclosed is that she is pregnant at this time with duke leto's other child which is a, a female and even though she's in the womb, she is also changed. And then they, uh, Frank Herbert goes in and describes that. He he's like, that little girl comes out and she's saying, "I didn't know who I was because there were all these other women, basically throughout history and previous generations, all speaking to me yeah. and like, um, and I kind of had to figure out who I was." And she's she grows up Fremen, so she's like a warrior four-year-old crazy girl (laughs) um and and then she also has like the power of like the reverend mothers um so she has like psychic abilities and um and she she does not fit in with the other children because she is other from them because she's also like a a reverend mother and that um that's kind of where we enter into uh the final confrontation do you want to get into that uh tyler with uh with uh, Baron Harkonnen and the Emperor, are we saving that up for a minute?
0: No, yeah, we can jump to that. Um, I think the thing was called the Water of Life that you were talking about, where they have to drink that. Um, yeah, did, and I liked. Did you have anything
1: more that you wanted to add on on that section of the book?
0: Yeah, I just, yeah, I just liked that uh, description that he gave about like her awakening. It was like she like awoke in the womb almost. It's like she she became alive like before she was born and Mm -hmm. yeah i just think it was really it was a really interesting description i should go back and read it again because i don't remember all the specifics but i remember it being uh like a very unique like experience uh for her um but yeah i think uh one thing we can talk about is like paul's final test to be like a fremen he has to ride on the the sandworm that like completes Mm -hmm. that like completes his, his like training or that like completes his um, process of becoming a true Fremen. Um,
1: Yeah. It's like his right. This was also,
0: yeah. Right. of passage. Yeah. And this was supposed to also be like the point at which he would take over complete leadership of the Fremen people. And like a lot of the Fremen's were expecting him to do that and to eliminate Stilgar And to kind of take over, and I think we talked about it a little bit in the last episode, but like this was an opportunity for Paul to show like how he was gonna like how he wanted to be as a leader, and like he wasn't just going to kill people that were valuable to him, um, just because that's the way that it had always been done. Um, So it's it's interesting at the beginning whenever he meets the Fremen, like he's very like okay we'll do. I want to learn your customs. We're going to do things how you guys do things and all this kind of stuff. And he goes through all this, uh, all this process and he lives with them for two years or whatever it is. And then, and then whenever he's finally able to like take authority and then he can, now he can now say like, I know how you guys have done things, but now that I'm a leader and you trust me that like, we can now change the way that we uh, run like our political system. Like we don't have to like kill off our best, leaders to make way for the new ones like we can have a leader and use those other leaders to make the whole of the group better in a sense
1: yeah to um, the survival of the tribe is the most important so they were definitely more of a community-based um you know yep here on planet earth we have um american society which is like very individualistic um you know i want our kids to ex- uh, succeed in sports and all this and uh then you yep. look at more Eastern cultures like uh, Japan and China, and there's things like saving face and disgracing your family, and it's more about mm-hmm. um, the survival, like a more of a community um, approach to life, and that's definitely more of the way of the Fremen um, than it is the... Because it's all about the water. We have to conserve the water, and it's the survival right. of the tribe, and we're in it together, yep. and we have to recognize... Uh, there's a point when, um, there's, um, it's when, uh, the arms, the person who trained Paul, and you keep reminding me of his name and I keep forgetting it.
0: (laughs) Gurney Halleck. Yeah.
1: Gurney. Thank you. So Gurney is captured. He's like going on a spice run and he's got, uh, soldiers with him and, uh, they get injured when the Fremen attack. And, um, I think it's Stilgar. He's like challenging Gurney like, don't your people know when, like, they won't survive, and, you know, you have to cut your losses with your injured soldiers, like, why would we take care of someone we know is going to die, like, their water could go back to the tribe, Um, and, you know, it's, it's such, like, a, like, a foreign concept to us, I think, as Americans, um, that, like, like, sometimes we do have to cut our losses, and, and just, and go from there, and, and that's just the reality of, living on arrakis is um Mm
0: -hmm.
1: there is not water and we must survive um so yeah definitely a clash of cultures there um and i do like the sandworm um yeah i forget how exactly that he uh described it but basically they're going to be riding sandworms and they have these kind of like hooks and they're able to like reposition and when the hooks are like attached to the sandworms like they don't want to go back under the sand for some you know i think they might be hurt or damaged or something um but yeah that's how yeah um and and paul is even called out when he gets on it Stilgar says something like you should have like let the flank take the the lead or something because you weren't doing it correct and Paul has to summon his inner Benny Gesserit and say, "I'm going to not respond <laughs> to this angrily, and I'm going to say thank yeah. you, Stilgar." And then yeah. that's before um, we have the transition of power to uh, right before um, he takes Stilgar's place as the leader of the Fremen.
0: Yeah, but that's just like another example of why Stilgar was such a great character. Because like right up until like the very end, and like even Stilgar knew what was supposed to happen he knew like later or paul was supposed to take power and stolgar was supposed to be killed but like even up to that point him knowing that's going to happen he's still doing his best to like teach paul everything that he knows and try to make him as best as he could possibly be um knowing what's going to be happening in the future um so yeah i just love that kind of image where he's like it's like Dune's also like a coming of age story. And so you get to see Paul go from like the noble kid at 15 to like this, um, mature and confident and like well-rounded, uh, leader, uh, as he gets older. And, uh, Mm -hmm. a lot of people have like poured into him throughout his life and made him what he is today. And yeah, so I just, I think I love that. I think Stilgar is probably my favorite character. He's 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 awesome. He's epic. <laughs> cool. Um, but yeah, so he uh, becomes the leader, and there's a scene with Gurney Halleck where Gurney goes in and tries to kill his mother Jessica, and uh, Paul stops because him because he thinks him,
1: that uh, she's the betrayer and not Yui. Yes. She thinks uh, he thinks that. She's the one who betrayed his duke, and he really valued the duke as a friend. And the duke had like pulled yep. him out of like a slave situation or something of incredible hardship, and gave him a life and honor. And he was very loyal yep. to the duke. And then yep. he beca- he feels incredibly guilty after um, Paul like uncontroversially says like you were wrong. It was Yui all this whole yep. time. And then he's like, oh, you must kill me because I wanted to kill (laughs) your mom. And then Paul's like, why is every good man I have in my life want me to kill him?
0: (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I think that's a good segue. We can just transition into like, the very final final scenes and the final stages with uh, Paul at the end uh, and the emperor. And I think we can see it's interesting, like, he – the people who are his – uh his allies and his friends he's very gracious with and he doesn't want them he gives them second chances and he says no i'm not going to kill you like why would i kill you you're useful to me you're uh my ally and my friend and all these different things but with his enemies he is like ruthless so there's like a stark dichotomy between how he treats his or treats his friends and he treats his enemies and they're like completely different um because towards the end there's like this final kind of battle scene where uh, the Fremen are using like the cover of this massive sandstorm and they come in on these like riding worms I, whenever they make this part of the Dune movie I'm going to be super uh, stoked to watch that scene because that's going to be epic um, but they go on in on these sandworms and they like lay waste to the the Harkonnens and the Sardaukar and all this stuff and Paul yeah, gets on it's going to be really cool I, I think he gets on the emperor's ship. Is this where this all takes down or goes down at the end? I think it's on his ship.
1: Yeah, um, I think so. So, um, the Harkadans had come to the planet kind of like with the idea that they were going to go in and like subjugate the Fremen like really easily. And they, um, or they were exploring, um, some intelligence that there was like people in like the Southern part of Arrakis and, they were exploring that and so they sent like five like like convoys full of uh sardikar soldiers and then they all get killed. We mentioned this earlier in the last podcast by the women <laughs> and children of the Fremen. Um but they and <laughs> they're being so led nice. by I think it's Aaliyah the uh yes. Paul's sister, and so There's she's like captured. Four. Yeah, she's like four years old, and she's leading them, and she is captured, and she's brought back to um, the emperor, and uh,
0: well, no, she Baron says, "I let Vladimir. you capture me."
1: Oh yeah, she says, "I let you capture me," and then the uh, Benny Jesuit um, mother, who's uh, the reverent mother who was there at the beginning of the book, who tested Paul. By holding the ganja bar to his neck and uh, putting his hand in the box, she's there and she is deathly afraid of this uh, Leah, four yeah. year old. She's she's like spawn of it's Satan. Like you're an abomination. You never should have been born. Yeah, you're an abomination. You should never been born. Um, Leah doesn't care. She's just like <laughs> kicking her legs like a little girl, and she she's um, she doesn't recognize the emperor or his power. Um, and then they're deep in this conversation, and then that's when um, Paul launches his attack against the emperor. Um, and then, like you said, there was like all this fighting going on, and um, and then during the confusion, uh, I think that's when Aaliyah attacks the Baron. Uh, he gets yep. he, she gets close to him and kills him with the ganjabar like poison um stabs him with the needle and um i just remember the description of him being like suspended like inches above the floor with his like suspenders and kind of like convulsing and dying um i was like oh i didn't see you know i thought it was gonna be paul that got to him or like he survived and was in the next book because he he was a good villain like let's be honest he was like a terrible person he was very um, menacing yeah he he was good um Yeah. And so at this point, Paul like comes in and seeks audience with the emperor, um, who was his, the Sardaukar was trying to get him to flee, but he didn't. Um, and Paul says, you've recognized me as the Duke. Um, this is my planet. And like, kind of like you said, Tyler, where he's just kind of like being authoritative, like this is going to be how it is. And, um, he wants to marry one of the emperor's daughters so that he can become like in line yep. in succession for the, uh, emperor's throne. Uh, and then that I think is when fade Rotha enters the picture. And, um, challenges his cousin. And there's this whole thing where, Oh yeah. Um, the reveal
0: where they're blood related. Yeah.
1: Yeah. They're <laughs> blood related. So, um, Paul is part Harkadin, which I didn't understand that part but it was in there, and, um, and so, like, he's, he is, like, of the blend of everything, like, he's the Benny Gesserit, he's the Paul Waddeeb from, like, the Fremen, he's the Chosen One, um, and he's got his, his magic stuff, and anyway, that's when they, um, you know, are in the one in one battle, and Paul chooses the high road not to, um, know Fade Rotha's conditioning word, and then, um, yeah, then the internal monologue where the two are fighting is really good. Um and they're deciding how they're gonna like take each other out. And um Paul ends up winning. Um he says something um <clears throat> that kind of catches Fade Rotha off guard and um just in that second Paul like takes the victory. Um forget exactly how that happens. Um and then he stands up to the Emperor at the end and he's like, um, you know, like, now that you've seen me and you've recognized me as the Duke, um Yeah. I think he claims one of his daughters and um and yeah. they're gonna be married. Um but he claims uh, same- Princess
0: Arulin, who's been the one writing all the epigraphs, like at the beginning of each of the chapters, she has like a little quote or saying oh, from her, all okay. of her books and stuff. So like that's the person that he marries mm-hmm.
1: uh yeah and that's basically where the book concludes is paul has uh gone from the orphan boy on the planet barely surviving in his suit and is still sued and his still tent with his mother to being next in line with the emperor and then there is also the cool part where He was like, you know, you recognize me at the Duke, but as my position as Paul Wadib of the Fremen, I also sentence you to pay for your crimes. So it was interesting how he kind of combined like his royal, his Duke lineage with like his prophecy of being the chosen one from the Fremen and also like making the emperor submit to his will and um, to judgment, basically. Yep. All right, Tyler, what did I miss? What do you want to add in
0: there? I don't know. I think it's, that's pretty much how it ends. Um, I think the Emperor was banking on Fade Rotha winning. That way he wouldn't have to give up control of the planet and all of that stuff. Because um, mm-hmm. if he had been victorious, then there wouldn't be any more... Uh, a uh, Atreides to take, or like, I guess, Aaliyah wouldn't be able to take it because she's a girl. I'm not sure how the how that works, but, um, it seemed like if he would have, if Fade Rotha would have won, that the planet would have went to him, um, and mm-hmm. I, I loved the scene, uh, because whenever, uh, Fade Ratha is killed by Paul, in a as a, in a last ditch effort, the Emperor asks his, um. Uh what's his name? His name's um the Count. Count Fenring. Fenring, that's what his oh, name yeah. is. Oh yeah, Count Fenring, yep. Count mm-hmm. Fenring, who was also I think he was a mentat. Um the Emperor basically asks him to go and kill Paul. And the Count Fenring is just like, Nah, I think I'm good. You uh <laughs> I think he, he like he he basically like uh, sympathizes with Paul's struggle and he sides with him in the end essentially. And so the person who the emperor thought he would have his trust in the count he actually like betrays him and he sides with um he sides with Paul. And then um, there were
1: those details about Count Frenring how um Paul was like he, he like he can see the future and it's been you know he's been able to see it a little bit more um yep. But like count Fenring kind of was always there, but he was kind of obscured. And Paul was like, how did he do that? Like, how did he like avoid, um, like being yep. detected by me? And yeah, that was an interesting, there's a, there's, there's lots of depth here, you know, um, the yeah. plans within plans, We're, um, that yeah, they we've definitely about. missed lots.
0: some things. Yeah. There was the yeah. scene earlier whenever he, like he took the water of the life and he went into that coma and that kind of like fully unlocked his like potential essentially. Sure. I think that's when he like, like kind of ascended to like the full status of yeah, like the, mm-hmm. the, like the, like the prophesied one, because it says something about like, it will seem as he is both dead and alive or something. And that's like what a coma is. And that was mm-hmm. like part of the prophecy. So like, that was like the final, like fulfilled prophecy that like the people were able to see um, and prove that he was uh, the one that had been prophesied so yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of things that we probably missed um, I will say I did really enjoy uh, all of the epigraphs like the little things right before all of the chapters um, they all had really interesting like quotes in them or a little um, interesting details about the different characters um, and I think it's cool that like we like see this princess ruling throughout the whole book. And then at the very end, we're like, Oh yeah, she marries Paul Atreides. And so that's like the connection. And so she, um, she had been like witnessing what is, what had happened on Arrakis throughout the whole time that Paul was there. So, um, and it seems like she's a fairly objective person who's recording all of this stuff. Um, because she really doesn't have any necessarily like love for Paul. It's basically just like a political marriage and he says that he's gonna Right like Shania, Shennai is gonna be like the one that he really loves, but he just has to marry Rulin because of political purposes so he can uh, um have the power that he needs essentially. So Yep. Yeah, I just love those little little epigraphs and stuff at the very beginning. They always had some interesting tidbits. Um so Yeah, I don't know. Is there anything else? That's pretty much it. Um, I mean, I guess final thoughts and
1: yeah. yeah. Um, So yeah, Dune. Oh man, it was a, it was a mind-twisting like. There's just like a different level of, um, like thought that went into it. I feel like it. um, There was just Mm -hmm. so many different. Um, like, again, I just think of the plans within plans, like Frank Herbert's like weaving, uh, like it was just so intricate and there were so many details and like, there's a bigger picture that I definitely feel like I missed, um, reading it. And I even like, you know, I do listen to it. So I went back and I listened to it some more. But even after listening to it several times, like I don't feel like I'm scratching the surface of 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 what is contained in this book because I feel like there's so much more. Yep. I feel like it's building towards something, and uh, I didn't realize it was a series. I thought it was a standalone <laughs> book. Let alone, you know, there's I think there's six in the Dune saga, and um, it's intergenerational. Like it's not just about Paul. Um, it goes further yeah. and further. Um, yeah. So never read the book before. Um, definitely foundational and, for science fiction.
0: And he didn't even finish. He died before he wrote the last novel. So we don't actually even get the conclusion to like the planned conclusion that he made that he had wow. thought of. So, <laughs> so it's just a permanent. So <laughs> that's just too life. bad. um, his son Brian Herbert has written a bunch of other books as well with another author named Kevin J. Anderson, and um, they actually did write the conclusion to the Dune saga. Um, mm-hmm. But there's like mixed feelings from the Dune fandom. It seems on whether or not people like those books or not. So I guess it's just personal preference, and it's well, like
1: we live how, in reality to live up. <laughs>
0: Yeah, how are you supposed to live up to what frank herbert created like it's yeah, that's insane. that's like <laughs> i mean christopher tolkien like did a good job with all the stuff with his father's works but like he didn't like write new material like he was basically just releasing stuff that had already been uh written by his father mm-hmm. so yeah I don't know. it's it's a pretty big undertaking to try and like write new material and have it live oh, up to the sure. expectation that the original had. So, sure. Um, yeah, I guess props sure. to them for trying and trying to finish the, the, uh, work. Well, that maybe when started, we get there but... in
1: six years, Tyler will, will have an opinion <laughs> on whether we thought it was good or not.
0: <laughs> That's right. But I, I am looking forward to like reading the other books because yeah, like you said, it is intergenerational. So I think in the next book, Dune Messiah, it does still follow, Paul, a little bit, but then in the other books, we get to follow his other son, um, Laeto Atreides. It's another Laeto after the other one had been killed. Um, and I think he's considered, um, the god emperor. Uh, one of the books is called God Emperor of Dune, and I think that's oh. kind of follows his story and stuff. So, yeah, there's, um, a lot of, a lot more side quests and bunny trails and, <laughs> philosophical debates to be had in the dune saga so um yeah it'll it'll be cool whenever i get to read those for sure um yeah i love dune and i uh, uh would recommend you guys check it out if uh you haven't and go see the movie as well it looks to be really good and looking forward to that um yes yeah, so that's gonna do it for this podcast and that will conclude our discussion of uh dune by frank herbert uh, you can go check out our website pagesoflight.com. and you can check out our blog and other things like that. And you can follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, um, and YouTube, go and subscribe to the YouTube so you can uh, see the video version of this podcast and you can leave a comment on your thoughts on Dune and, uh, what you're hoping for the movie as well. And yeah, you can follow Gabe neighborhood and check out what he's doing and yeah links to all those things will be in the description thanks for joining us on our uh quests to explore the world of doom and we will see you guys in the next episode thanks for listening remember to keep reading and to share the gospel with somebody this week